Landscape questions, 512-836-0590. Hey, good morning, gardeners. Lovely day out there. Nature just had to sneak that in there, though, didn't she? We had a high 80, a high of 80-something last week, and we're back to 100. That's kind of how it works around here. We get that tease, and we're right back into summer, except things things are going better. It's, it's really obvious that it's less, it's less about the heat, and it's more about the rain. We have been too dry for too long. I got last week uh, two and a, two and a quarter, two and a half inches of rain. And yesterday, I'm out walking around my property, looking and starting to consider what kind of damage I have to deal with. And son of a gun, plants that I were sure I was just sure that they were dead. I got brand new leaves on them. I got two roses that I was planning to just write off because I I was sure. I I quit watering them about a month ago or so because my drip system decided to spring a leak. And rather than waste the water, and I didn't really particularly want to go out there in the hot weather to try to fix it, I was kind of like, yeah, well, good luck. Well, son of a gun, the roses are coming back. Uh, my flame acanthus, my Mexican honeysuckle, my almond verbena, um, everything. I have a Mexican bahania that for most part was dead to the ground. And now it's not only coming back in green, but it's blooming. So I have... Uh, what are they called? Schoolhouse lilies decided to pop up. Uh, was really looking forward to those. And they are putting on a show. Now, they're not as big, but they're not dead. And that's my biggest concern. I was. I, I'm one of those people that... I put plants in the ground. If they're there next year, I take care of them. And I really thought I was going to have to write off a huge amount of plants and just give up on them. Nope, things are starting to turn green again. Now, I don't have green as in needing to mow yet, thankfully. I don't want to go out there and mow. But... Things are really surprising. I, I have stuff that I was positive was dead. And nature is surprising me again. Folks, let's go to the phone. This is Robert. Robert, what can I help you with? Morning. I just wanted to hear you say in a general way whether we have the green light to do the fall veggies yet or should we still wait? You know, looking at the weather report, um, they're saying 
they're saying that we're going to be in the 90s starting Monday and getting some rain. And the other good thing about that is the nighttime lows are actually below 70 degrees. That's pretty prime. That's um, those are those are good weather conditions. Now, a week ago we had these same kind of weather conditions, and guess what happened? Turned right around and went into the hundreds. Mm-hmm. So, cannot guarantee what's going to happen. Not at all. Right. But we're so close. It's kind of on you. If you put stuff in the ground now, like Saturday and Sunday is still going to be a 100-degree temperature. But Mm -hmm. if you can get stuff in this week, it's probably going to make it. You're really going to have to watch your water for them. Even though we get with rain coming, uh, make sure that they're getting either rain or you're providing them with water. But I think you can start moving some stuff out there for the fall garden. Okay. I've got raised beds with uh, drip irrigation on timer, so I got that dialed in. Oh, that'll work. Um, the temperatures really are getting better in a hurry. So, yeah, I think you can start some stuff out there and see if you can't get a head start on the fall garden. All right. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for the call. Yeah, folks, um, it is still hot, but that nighttime temperature is going to be so much better here soon. And like I said, rain. Rain is magical, mystical elixir for many of our plants here. It is the stuff we need to really get them to take off. And a 70% chance of rain on Monday, that's, that's pretty good. It may not be a lot of rain, but any rain is a good thing. Any rain is a good thing at this point. Hopefully, October is one of our wetter times of the year, and we are now technically in fall, according to the calendar. So hopefully... We will start seeing a better break in the temperatures and an increase in the rainfall. This is the kind of things that I know everybody's got that itch. Let's go get into the garden. We may we may have a real opportunity now. I don't think that we're going to turn around and at the end of next week suddenly be back in the hundreds again. I think we're finally going to be breaking that temperature barrier and the tremendous hope of being able to get some of that rainwater back. That's really what's going to make the difference to get us going on our fall gardens. Um, Enjoy the weather. I spent the day Friday before it got hot evaluating damage and i was so pleasantly surprised to see plants that i would have just normally written off not just make an appearance but come back in bloom and look really good 
Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a quick break. I'll catch you on the other side. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512 836 0590. Welcome back. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, I've got a text message here. And I, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Many of the gardeners know what I'm going to say. And I, I'm really sorry that you, you've, you've found this out through experience. And the text message is about that they had planted yellow squash for five years with little to no success. It um, plant in April, it grows, it blossoms, produces one squash, and dies. There's a whole bunch of listeners right now shouting at the radio going, squash vine borer. Yeah, it is a bug we have here. Actually, it's through most of the U.S., and it is a dastardly little moth. It lays an egg at the base of the plant. You Sometimes it can lay the egg actually under the soil level. The egg hatches into the squash vine and starts eating inside the vine and winds up killing the plant. You can come out one day and it looks good. You come out the next day, it looks dead. Google, or whatever your favorite search engine is, squash vine borer. Because they'll have some good pictures of what the borer looks like in the actual vine. And they'll have some pictures about how you can tell it's squash vine borer by looking at the vine. They'll have pictures of what the damage looks like and things like that. Okay, that describes how you can figure out what attacked your squash. What can you do about it? Nothing. There are millions of people out there who have cures to prevent squash vine borers that are not successful. It is one of the most frustrating things. Planting as early as possible because the boar tends to pop up around May. So the sooner you can get your squash going, the more of a harvest you'll get. The other thing is, is if you can produce a physical barrier over the squash. This little moth, if it can't get to the plant, can't lay those eggs. Um, the problem with that is, is putting a barrier over the, the, the plant, whether it's a frost cloth or that um, yellow weave material they have, no matter what you use, if you are blocking the squash vine borer, you're blocking the pollinators. That means you have to become the pollinator. It's an easy process to pollinate squash. It's really super easy, and it's very effective. 
but you would have to remove your barrier And when you remove that barrier to get in there to do the pollination, I swear that little moss sits off to the side and waits for you to come and do that. You, you reduce the possibility. You don't eliminate it. So one of the things you can do is to grow squash an acre at a time. Because when you have that mass number of plants, the squash vine borer tends to only edge the field. It only goes to the first plant it finds and it still attacks it and you lose some of that, but there's just too much squash for it to take on. So it can make it less hazardous in terms of the squash vine borer. But we don't plant an acre. We plant a plant or two. You need to, like I said, hit the search engine with squash vine borer. Figure out what it looks like. Understand the damage it does and how you can determine that it's there. Get your squash in really early or late in the year. There's usually like two seasons of squash vine borer starting early in May and generally the end of August. If you grow outside those seasons, at least you're trying to reduce the opportunity for your squash to be hit by this bug. You can also find out, you'll see many conversations about certain types of squash are resistant to the squash fine borer. And there are ones, and they produce a good squash. But it is a dastardly little bug. It's an attractive insect, which is no big deal. And... Uh, it is it is just a sure way to lose all your squash. And it, like I said, every day they'll look great, they'll look great, the next day, boom, they're dead. They just fall over and collapse. More than likely, that's a squash vine borer attacking it. Sorry, um, I gave up squash years ago. I didn't have to plant for five years before I finally gave up. But it's a hard learned lesson. And the nice thing about it is about the time you're going to harvest your squash, it's as cheap as it's going to be at the farmer's market. Even in the grocery stores. Everybody wants to grow their own. Everybody wants to have their own particular variety. But these are the consequences. You can, you can just head to the market, support your local farmers, 
who have their own problems trying to keep their crops going. And you can use the space to grow something else. Melons, watermelon, those things will grow well where squash will grow. So you can you can grow something else. It's I know it is so frustrating. It is a killer pest. It is really a will breaking pest in the garden. There are very few other bugs that will take out your garden the way these guys will take out squash. And I know it is so frustrating. We have to work with Mother Nature rather than fighting her every minute of the day. So this is one of the ones where I leave it to Mother Nature. I go, you win, and uh, I don't plant squash. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We're coming to the bottom of the hour. We're going to break for the news. I'll catch you all on the other side. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Welcome back, gardeners. Um, I got a note to myself that I keep forgetting to say about, and it'll be important. As this weather breaks, we're probably going to be running back outside. We're going to find it nice enough. We're going to be doing yard work, working in the garden, etc. I want to let you know that we are in second season for chiggers. Yes, those lovely bugs that we just absolutely hate. They have basically two seasons in the Austin area. And it's the teenage version of the chigger that is the problem for us. When they bite you, their saliva has an enzyme in it, and a day or two later, that enzyme will trigger and you will have an itch. And it can be an itch for a very long time. I know how frustrating it can be. And it always seems to be we get bit in places where we really don't want to itch in public. So use your favorite bug blocker. Make sure that you are covered good when you go outside for at least the next month because this is their season. I... uh have sulfur flakes that we spread around the yard and around through the garden, and that pretty much drives them away. We can go outside and work in those areas, come back in, and there's no chigger bites. But don't forget, you'll see them again. The good thing is, is they don't have a real long second season, but they have a second season. 
So we have to be careful about it. You will you will not you'll not want to run out there and go, oh, I can go back outside I can get in my garden and you have a wonderful day outside and then the next day you're like, Oh, why does it itch? Don't forget, cover yourself up. Use whatever you need to have as a pest repellent, um, whatever you personally like. Like I said, like I said, they are a multi-season pain. You can either use various barriers on your property in your yard. I'm a fan of the sulfur pellets, and uh, you can use the cedar oil sprays, things like that. But don't forget, oh, you don't need to be up all night going, gosh, I can't get to that bite, and it itches, and yeah, it's really terrible. Uh, someone here has texted saying, uh, are we in the window for trimming oak trees? Yes, we are. It is um, July 1st through uh, January 31st. So you are still good. You are still good to be trimming your oak trees. Remember, Clean cuts, sharp tools, oak tree branches get painted over. And you can just use paint. You don't need that nasty black asphalt stuff they tell you about. You do not need that product. Just give it a shot of paint. Any color, you could have, you know, a polka dot tree. But this is the right time to be... Uh, to be using it. I have somebody text here saying they had a, a particularly good yield when they planted the white scalloped squash. They got a pretty good harvest without the squash vine borer attacking it. So you might try that just from someone else's uh, comments. Okay, getting asked about um, goji berries. Let me get to that next break. Um, let's go to the phone and talk to Kay. Kay, what can I help you with? Hi, Jeff. I'm wondering at this point in the season, I know it's still a little bit warm and we're not quite into fall and last mowing and all that, but with the drought and the stress that my lawn has taken, it's St. Augustine. I do fight take-all root rot. been doing that for eight years. But my questions are, should I aerate maybe in a few weeks when it's a little cooler and then top dress with some sort of compost to get it protected and, and ready to heal for the over the winter? And if so, what kind of compost would you recommend? Okay. First question, 
aerating, you can do that pretty much any time of the year. Once a okay. year is great. Twice a year, though, if you've got the effort. But once a year is great, and it would be good that maybe Saturday you go and you aerate the lawn, and Sunday you provide the top dressing of a good quality compost. What kind of compost? You will find that you want one that's pretty broken down in terms of you don't get big chunks. You want a, a, a kind of a crumbly compost and doesn't leave big pieces in the yard. If okay. you aerate and then use that top dressing compost, yes, some of it will trickle down into the holes to get deeper in the soil. It is a okay. tad hot. You might want to wait a week or two, but if you can get it out there, say, two weeks from now, we should be getting rain. We should have been getting rain all summer, but we didn't. But we get rain, and that rain will help leach the the beneficial parts of the compost into your turf. So, okay. And somebody That's, had mentioned mushroom compost, and I was wondering, um, I, it seems like St. Augustine prefers a slightly acidic soil, and mine is not acidic. I've had it tested. Is there a compost that is a little more on the acidic side, and we recommend that? Not directly. The more okay. organic matter you put down, the more acidic you're going to make your soil. It doesn't okay. have to be a certain kind of compost, just the the act of putting down that organic matter, the soil creatures are going to start breaking it down, and the process they use to do so is very uh, is they have enzymes that are acidic, so lots of organic matter, lots of little bugs in the soil. It lowers the pH of the soil as you go doesn't matter what kind of compost you use. Oh, okay. And is the test to smell it? Does it need to smell really earthy and, and you know, like good compost? Because how do you know if you're getting good compost? That's the deal. If it smells like ammonia, that means it hasn't been broken down enough. Okay. But a good, rich, earthy smell should tell you that, yep, that's good stuff. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Jeff. You bet, Kay. Thanks for the call. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512 836 0590. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. <clears throat> I, I got texted a question, and it's a it's a good one because this is a really, this can be a really attractive plant and it feeds the wildlife and it's pretty industrious. And that is the goji berry, lyceum is its name, sometimes called wolfberry, produces a little red, about the size of a chili pekin berry. Now, I'm not a big fan of the taste of it. Arguably, people have said 
it doesn't taste as good fresh as it does as a dried fruit. That's a little unusual, but that's how it produces. It normally looks like the hairstyle of one of those little trolls. You know, the, 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 with the green hair or the purple hair. It, it is almost a, a smaller version of a Lady Banks rose. It gets these spikes that come up and they collapse over. They are not, they are not intended to be these short, perfect little shrubs. They kind of droop everywhere. That is completely normal for them. You can cut back anything that's dead. You will get some dead branches in them once in a while. Cut those out. But the plant itself is just kind of like, you know, a bad hair day, the way it grows. You want to treat it like a rose. It needs pretty much the same conditions. A well-drained soil, somewhat sandy side, rocky side of the soil. It doesn't need a really rich environment to do well. I have uh, a goji berry that has been in the same container for going on almost 10 years now. I've not potted it up. I've not done anything. It made it through the summer. It made it through the ice storm. It made it through the freeze apocalypse. I really thought I was going to lose it that year, but didn't even, you know, didn't even break a sweat. They're an interesting plant, and if you're wanting to, you can easily, when it produces a berry, dry the berry. There should be a couple of little seeds in there, and you could start new plants as you go along. If you use your search engine and look up goji berry pictures, you'll see that they're, they can get up to about five foot to six foot tall with this big weeping architecture to them. They have a kind of purplish and white flower that hummingbirds love. And the berry that forms, you will watch mockingbirds fight over it. I have come out, had a mockingbird in it and was able to walk up and could have grabbed the mockingbird by my bare hands because he was like, no, I am not leaving. I want all these berries. But it is an attractive plant when it gets all loaded up. And um, like I said, it's just one more hummingbird plant to have. Now, I have mine growing in a container that I would be lucky to say was three gallons in size. That's just a guess. And it's, like I said, 10 years. 10 years of growth, an ice storm, the freeze apocalypse, and last summer, well, this summer, still growing, still doing well. Really need to make sure you have well drained soil. Can you put it in the ground? Yes, you can. 
you want a well-grow, well, excuse me, well-drained soil to, to really give it the best opportunity you can. And it should produce multiple times per year. You really don't need to fertilize it. It, it. It's rare for me to fertilize mine. Usually I do so when it doesn't have a whole lot of growth on it. Otherwise, I just let it go. Folks, let's go to the phone. This is Roger. Roger, what can I help you with? I was wondering, uh, I grow cactus and succulents in my house. I've got some grow lights. What is the, the minimum distance or maximum distance for them to work proper? Okay. It is the number of lumens, L-U-M-E-N. And the grow light should say on it, it's 100, 1,000, 10,000, whatever, however many lumens it can produce. The more lumens it can produce, the further away it can be from the plant. Now, I have LED lights, and I can, all, I can make them so close that it's actually safe for the light to touch the plant because it doesn't get hot. Now, I don't put them that close, but it's kind of up to you. My light, I hold at a height so that the light covers an entire seed tray. So I keep um, maybe a foot above the tray, and as the plants get bigger, I'll raise it up a little bit. But it's the number of lumens that tells you how bright the light is, and you want the brightest lumens you can get. Right, okay. Number two... You will find that it says it's a blue light or it's a red light or it's this kind of light. Just go for a full spectrum. Well, this has these has a, a mode for combination. You can run blue, white, and red all at the same time. Yep. yep. That will work for cactus, succulents, um, flowering plants, uh, vegetables, and all of that? Yep. Okay. I'll just try to get them close without touching and without burning them up. I think, they think these are LEDs. Different yeah, and you yeah. can put your hand over them with the light on. Your hand should not be, oh, my gosh, that's hot, okay? They're safe if you can put your hand on top of the plant and your hand doesn't get burned. Okay, that's a good, good idea. All right, Jeff, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Roger. Yeah, folks, those of you with indoor growing lights, um, Leah and Colleen were talking about it used to be shop lights and you'd get fluorescent too. And then they went to the T5 fluorescent tube, which was a whole lot brighter. Well, you cannot beat the LEDs. They are relatively inexpensive. They are truly broad spectrum, though you can buy ones that are lean more to one color or the other. And the color of the light helps decide whether you're growing or blooming. So if you get a full spectrum one, you're covered. And um, they are a lot less expensive 
and they don't produce so much heat in your house. So there are advantages to the LEDs. Get the brightest ones that you can afford because the number of lumens, the closer to the value of the actual sun, the better the plants will like it. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Coming up to the top of the hour, we're going to break for the news. I'll catch you on the other side.